Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. John G makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Johnji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to johnji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I dot com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Oh, hey again, Outside In listeners. Just a reminder, this is the third of a four-part series. The first came two weeks ago, and it's called Masters in Our Own Home. At this point, episode three, if you haven't heard the other two, this is the perfect opportunity to press pause and go listen to the other two. We'll be waiting for you. This is from the first day of our first trip to Canada. And we're outside in northern Canada in summer. So, bug spray. Sam, by the way, is immune to mosquitoes. <laughs> I want the world to know that. <laughs> they bite me. It just doesn't itch. And nothing happens. <laughs> Welcome uh, in northern Canada. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. And we're up with the pessimist. Who, as we learned in the last episode, hosted Hydro-Quebec's first mega project on their land for very little compensation. Just 150,000 bucks. I can honestly say I've never been anywhere like this. No. It's a little like New England, but... But, uh, I mean... Much more wild. Wait, much more, uh, more wild, and it could become scary if we hit a rock. That's Louis Archambault, a consultant the Pessimist have hired to help them in their public relations battle against Hydro-Quebec. And on this day, that meant talking about salmon. In the summers, salmon used to be a major food source for the Pessimist. Prior to the 1950s, they used to catch more than 1,000 salmon per year from this river, the Betsiamit River. But today, that number has dropped down to fewer than 100. Louis wanted us to see this for ourselves, so he and two members of the Pessimate Band Council whisked us into a powerboat and headed upriver. So uh, it's very difficult for the salmon to live in that in such condition. After almost two hours, we reach what Louis wants us to see, a big, square, concrete bunker on the side of the bank with water bubbling out from underneath. 
the powerhouse. The former, the, the, the river, the original river was running from there to here. So they delivered the, the, the water in order to have the, uh, the, the, the biggest fall possible. And, uh, the decline of Atlantic salmon is a long, complicated story. There's overfishing, warming waters, but also part of that story is dams. This particular dam and powerhouse are used as a peaker, as in peak demand. That means its turbines turn on and off throughout the day as electricity use fluctuates. And this river has got very soft banks, made up mostly of clay and silt. That means it's really vulnerable to erosion when the water gets really high and fast, which brings us to the reason the pessimist brought us here. So, I mean, the water is going up and down five to six feet, foot, six, seven times a day, and the, the bank is eroding by the bottom, and one of a sudden, I mean, there's these cliffs that might be 100 feet high, 60, 100 feet high, goes right down to the river. Erosion is a natural process, one which, even when it's natural, is bad for salmon spawning beds. But this river was dammed in the 1950s before companies like Hydro-Quebec had to study whether a project would increase erosion. We asked some independent scientists, and they told us, yeah, generally speaking, raising and lowering the water probably does make erosion worse. But apart from tearing down the dam entirely, what can Hydro-Quebec do? It's not possible to ask Hydro-Quebec to remove this dam, but to change the pattern of production. I mean, simply that. Why are we doing that to, to an endangered species? To gain more money? Come on. The company already did agree to change how they operate the powerhouse back in 2000. Now they ramp operations up and down more slowly, only turning one of the five turbines on or off per hour. But as long as they continue to make electricity, the flow on the Betsy emit will rise and fall. And for the pessimist, minor concessions aren't going to cut it. Is it illegal to do that? We believe so. Is it immoral? We are sure. The pessimists have this big, unresolved historical grievance. All of these dams, nearly a third of Hydro-Quebec's capacity, were built on their territory without anyone ever asking for their permission or reimbursing them. It's something that would be illegal today. And they find themselves in the unenviable position of having to fight yesterday's battles with today's issues. But fighting over the operating procedures of an already existing dam just doesn't have the same curb appeal as trying to stop a mega project in its tracks. The details are just foggier. And yet, they've got to play the ball where it lies, even if it feels like a long shot. From New Hampshire Public Radio, this is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. And I'm Hannah McCarthy. And this is episode three of Powerline, stories about who has power, who wields it, and when you've got none, how do you take it? Disputes like this one the pessimists have with Hydro-Quebec feel intractable, unsolvable. But are they really? Turns out there's a playbook here, one that was set decades ago.
To get the details of that playbook, we have to go back to the Crees, the other First Nation we've been talking about in this series. And we've got to go back to the 1980s. This was a few years after the Crees injunction against the Hydro-Quebec project ended in a historic treaty, a landmark deal that gave them more than $100 million in compensation. But after that treaty was signed, many of its provisions weren't turning out as well as the Crees might have hoped. Forestry companies were moving aggressively into their territory. The water and sewer projects they were hoping for lagged or stalled. Now there's a new battle shaping up. Robert Bourassa could become premier in next month's election, and he wants to build more mega-projects on three more northern rivers. So when Hydro-Quebec started saying it wanted to reroute another massive river in their territory, called the Great Whale, the Crees were not having it. The native people are going to fight it. We will use every legal recourse we have to, uh, to, to, to make sure that our rights are protected. Exactly what rights these people do have is not clear. Most native people believe the James Bay. The Crees had learned from their first fight against the original James Bay project. To defeat the Great Whale, they needed more than just the courts. So they launched a years-long campaign of all-out public relations warfare. And they went big, international even. In the early 80s, the Grand Chief got an audience with Pope John Paul II. And when the pontiff next came to Canada, he actually called on the federal government to guarantee Native people the right to self-government. Once again, I affirm your right to a just and equitable measure of self-government. They teamed up with the Inuit and set southward by boat on a series of waterside press conferences along the rivers and lakes of New England and New York. When they first launched the boat in Ottawa, only three reporters showed up. By the time they arrived in New York City, the press were all over them. The sheer scope of what Hydro proposes here is breathtaking. Images like this one, in which Cree protesters paddled canoes to Manhattan last year, have New Yorkers thinking twice about the consequences of buying Northern power. This visit won them allies. Allies with money. The Sierra Club and Greenpeace helped them to buy full-page ads in the New York Times opposing the project. They even got Robert Kennedy Jr. on board. He spoke at press conferences with the Grand Chief and came up to the community of Great Whale to go whitewater rafting. And I don't think that we can just afford to stand still or sit. I think that we have to give some direction. And then they got perhaps the most important player of all, the governor of New York. Mario Cuomo. New York State had signed a contract for $12 billion worth of electricity over 20 years. It was basically the financing for the Great Whale Project. Is the contract in jeopardy? The contract is in jeopardy if, if by that you mean is it possible that the contract could be canceled? Absolutely. In March of 1992, the governor announced that he had canceled the contract to buy power from the Great Whale. Rayal Corcel, who has worked for Hydro-Quebec as a liaison with the Crees since 1975, remembers what happened next. The prime minister in Quebec then was the Parti Québécois that won the election. And, he, well, he just put the Great Whale project on, on the shelf. And Hydro-Quebec lo- lost a lot of money where we have in- invested money in, in studies and uh, and uh, investigation, 
and for what at the end of the day we had to write off all that money. For the next six years, the Crees remained vigilant, but the Great Whale Project didn't come back. That would have been 99, finished law school in 99, uh, and that was bad back then. That was really bad because all we did was fight, and we were really good at fighting. This gentleman is a Cree attorney, and interviewing a Cree attorney, it's very different from most lawyers, right? From asking his name. Uh, well, well, yeah, that shouldn't sound like a complicated question, but my name is Paul John Murdoch. I was born in Wiminji, uh, but my mother's from Wiskaganish. And so when my mother moved back to Wiskaganish when I was about five or six, the community was like, no, we don't, we don't like his name. So they changed his name from Paul John to John Paul. He graduated from law school in 2000, years after the end of the Great Whale Fight. This was a time when the Crees were still very dissatisfied with how development was being done on their territory. But it was also right about here that Hydro-Quebec massively shifted its strategy and began making a point of getting local buy-in for their projects. So then in 2001, this deal comes along where the Premier of Quebec and the Grand Chief, in a private meeting, Premier said, okay, nothing is happening in development. What do we do? Hydro-Quebec wanted to negotiate, and the Grand Chief was interested too. He asked John Paul to be part of the team. So just like that, bing, bang, boom, this very young lawyer is in the hot seat. So I got responsible for negotiating everything with Hydro-Quebec. First case out of law school. And to be totally honest, I'm totally green at this time. I'm terrified. The talks were carried out completely behind closed doors. The team was small. There was no press, and there were no environmental groups. And then the Grand Chief said, well, there's a whole bunch of things from the past that are not settled and that we're really upset about. If we fix those things, we'll talk about your project going in the future. We had lawsuits against Hydro-Quebec, government of Quebec, forestry companies, mining companies. We were suing everybody. So at that point, we settled 27 lawsuits. Not only that, but the team negotiated about 15 development agreements with Hydro-Quebec in the space of three months. It was a total shift in the Cree's strategy, too. They were giving up the long-term fight, the protests, the PR campaign, in return for a bigger seat at the table and a payout for the whole community. This, by the way, is where the environmental groups got off the bus. We had the Audubon Society, we had Greenpeace, we had, you name the group, we were, they were working with us. And a lot of those NGOs, they lent their biologists, their hydrologists, their, all of their expertise to us. All of those experts that we worked with were like, well, no, we can't, you're on your own, because that doesn't fit our mandate. We can't do that. We're, we're against everything. The idea that the Crees might be willing to cut a deal, that was a bridge too far for the Enviros. But when leadership brought it to the people, the result was clear. 70% of the Crees voted in favor of taking the deal. So their victory in the Great Whale fight gave birth to a true compromise. It was called a new nation-to-nation relationship. It rejiggered how mining, forestry, and hydroelectric development was managed in the Crees' territory. And they created a new process for resolving disputes. For their part, the Crees agreed to let Hydro-Quebec develop one more river from their ancestral land. 
the Rupert. In exchange, the Quebec government would pay the Cree $70 million a year for 50 years. That's more than $3.5 billion. This new deal came to be called Le Pays de Brave. The Peace of the Braves. The Crees today, they've still got challenges. Many of the same challenges that plague a lot of Native communities, or even just very rural communities. Drugs, alcohol, unemployment, suicide. But on the other hand, there are some things that are going well. When you visit these reservations today, you can't help but notice all the freshly paved roads, the shiny new public buildings, the community centers. The Crees in this area have a lot of public funds at their disposal. $70 million a year split between nine communities. For instance, we visited East Main, which, with fewer than 1,000 people, is the smallest Cree community. That's where Kenny Gilpin, who works in economic development for the reservation, showed off the ice arena, which is a matter of considerable local pride. Uh, This past June was the first time uh, this community, or maybe the nation itself, had an invite to the NHL draft from a young man from here. So he's, did he get drafted? No, 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 but he got the invite. Yeah. Okay, so we'll all say we're, we're still happy. Yeah. We still feel that we won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So yes, the Crees definitely have challenges, but Robert Kanadawat, one of the last living people to have signed the original James Bay Agreement, he thinks on the whole, it's been a good thing for his people. The Cree nation, as a whole, the nine Cree communities, their communities are better off than any Native community in the, in the country. This is the context that you need in order to understand what was going on when we visited the Pessimist. Is it immoral? We are sure. We'll get to that after this. chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary dairy. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome back. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. I'm Hannah McCarthy. Remember, on our first day with the Pessimate, Louie and the band council whisked us off in a powerboat to talk about the decline of the salmon fishery. So, I mean, it's very difficult for the salmon to live in that in such conditions. On day two, they wanted to show us something else by helicopter. Yes, indeed. They took us up in a helicopter. 
So this was over the Maniquagon Reservoir, which if you've got a second to Google it, it is worth your time. It's this giant circular lake formed by a meteor impact that you can see from space called the Eye of Quebec. The pessimist took us up to show us a couple of things. First were the many coves and inlets that are tightly packed with floating tree trunks. When Hydro-Quebec flooded its early reservoirs, it didn't harvest the trees beforehand. So they die, and then they float up to the surface. This makes it dangerous to navigate the reservoir in a motorboat, since tree trunks can be bobbing just beneath the water, difficult to see from the cockpit of a speeding boat. But they also wanted us to see that all around the reservoir, there's a light green border, almost like a bathtub ring. This ring is made up of trees and shrubs that have grown up since the 1980s. Hydro-Quebec has been keeping the level of the reservoir at about 30 feet below that legal limit. And this year, they wanted to raise it all the way up to the legal limit, 30 feet higher. This is Gérald Hervieux, an elected member of the Pessimist Band Council. Louis translated for him. After a few generations, the people, the younger generation, is coming back to reappropriate the territory. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of camps that will be flooded again. So, I mean, uh, <clears throat> basically, their grandparents were pushed out of the territory. And now, I mean, Andrew Quebec is pushing them uh, uh, again out of the territory. Throughout the first two days with the pessimist, this was repeated over and over again to us. Decades ago, Hydro-Quebec forced us off this land, pushed us out, and now it's happening all over again. And they were pulling out all of the stops to get that message across. An all-day boat ride, a dramatic helicopter flight, all in preparation for the big event. Louis Archambault at one point sort of hinted that this was going to happen. He said, something big is going down on Wednesday, and it's for you. Press conference day. Press conference day. Canadian TV cameras, newspaper reporters, the band council up at a long table reading their prepared statements. The pessimist filed an injunction against Hydro-Quebec, against this decision to refill the Manicouagan Reservoir. This injunction was granted, by the way. Hydro-Quebec had to stop filling the reservoir until the whole matter was decided in court. Now, I just want to draw a contrast between the time we spent with the Crees versus the time we spent with the Pessimist. With our visit to the Crees, I emailed them for weeks and weeks before we drove up, and it was everything I could do just to get someone to email me back and acknowledge that the doors wouldn't be locked in the band council office when we arrived. But once we got there, they showed off their hockey rink, their infrastructure, and generally talked about how things were going well. Now, compare that to our visit with the Pessimist. They got back to us right away. They had outings and tours and events planned for us every day. They gave us opportunities to take pictures and helped us set up interviews. The pessimist did not feel like they won the Stanley Cup. The Crees have the pay de brave. They have rights over their land. They won their PR battle. They don't need us. But the pessimist, they've never had that satisfaction from Hydro-Quebec. 
We mentioned last week that the Pessimists are suing Hydro-Quebec over the impacts of the massive manic Utard megaproject. That lawsuit has been slogging along in the courts since 1998, almost 20 years ago. In other words, the Pessimists wanted us there. We were part of their strategy. We were a tool in their toolkit. They actually pointed us out at their press conference, and we were mentioned in a Canadian news article. And their strategy, it's not just north of the border. Pissimit's right to fish, although recognized by the Canadian Supreme Court, is simply no longer applicable as a salmon on simply not there anymore. Remember the Northern Pass, the incredibly divisive power line New Hampshire's fighting over the issue I had to cover for years that made me want to run? They've made that a centerpiece in their fight. This past summer, the Pessimit partnered with environmental groups in New Hampshire. They took a swing through New England, meeting with politicians and sympathetic activists and testifying against the Northern Pass. Since none of the Pessimit delegation speaks English, their statement was read by a local indigenous leader, Paul Puglia. The Inu nation has never been conquered, has never given up its rights over its homelands, and has never accepted the attempts to relinquish our rights. Lawsuits, a PR campaign reaching out beyond Canada's borders to shame Hydro-Quebec. The pessimists are using the Cree's playbook. And we were a part of that playbook. To a certain extent, this is having the desired effect. The struggle of the pessimists now figures prominently in the rhetoric of Northern Pass opponents. Back when we were on the boat, back when this was still kind of a proto-thought in the back of my mind, I asked Louis Archambault about this, straight up. So do you see what, you are, what you're trying to do now is similar to what the Cree did when they went to New York City and got the Kennedys to support them? Well, uh, there might be a parallel, yes. Uh, you know, what's, uh, <laughs> what's very interesting uh, here is that uh, it's uh, possible to be heard, heard and understood in a language that you, we don't uh, manage that good, better than in French, with the authorities here. There's too much structural barriers for pessimists to be here here. Obviously, we don't know if this will work for the pessimists. It might be the same playbook, but it's not the same game. They don't have the same leverage. There's no massive, politically motivated mega construction project that the pessimists can stand in the way of. It's a lot harder to build a successful PR campaign on sediment loads and reservoir levels. And while the Crees recruited the Pope and Robert Kennedy Jr. to their cause, so far, the pessimists have had a visit from a couple of podcasters from New Hampshire. Frankly, it's tough to fight yesterday's battles, especially when today, everything's changed. Here's David Schultz again, the pessimist attorney. I'm a, <clears throat> an admirer of what was achieved under the James Bay Northern Quebec Agreement, but I, I also have the job as a lawyer of bursting a lot of people's balloons. The James Bay Northern Quebec Agreement was the first land claims agreement. It was the first modern treaty, and it is in many. It is a is is a fantastic agreement. The problem is, and something Canada will never admit is, they'll never be that generous again because they didn't really know what they were doing. 
and what the Cree have under the James Bay Agreement is not really being offered anymore. I can tell you, I once had supper with a senior official in Indian Affairs who told me, it's not a model for anyone, which I later realized is the epitome of the Indian Affairs view of the world because she meant when she said not for anyone, she might not for any of us white people back at Indian Affairs. So <laughs> the James Bay Northern Quebec Agreement, yes, it's, it is a great agreement. If Pessimid asked for it tomorrow, it wouldn't, they wouldn't get it. of hydropower is a complicated one, but next week we're going to try to wrap it all up for you. We're not perfect, but we are working with the people and we want to work with them. So I hope with all the the rest of the message, I hope you give this one. It's a big discrimination in Quebec against the First Nation. We know that. We live here. We feel it just by the way they, they look at us, you know. We feel it. That's next week on Outside In, on the final episode of our series, Powerline. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown. And me, Hannah McCarthy, with help from Taylor Quimby, Jimmy Gutierrez, Ben Henry, Nick Capodice, and Maureen McMurray. There is a ton of stuff at our website for this series. We have got interactive graphics, 360 videos that put you in the middle of this landscape. Really cool stuff. You can see all of that as well as all of the nifty graphics and maps we've been making for previous episodes at OutsideInRadio.org. Music for this week's episode came to us from Blue Dot Sessions and the Aspen Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.